Man, um, it is a, an auspicious time uh, to live in Denver because Taylor Swift is here. <clears throat> right? And I thought it was the 14-year-old girls, but what I realized is it's the 32-year-old grown-up girls who grew up uh, who grew up listening to T-Swift, who have the money to go do that. Um, un- unreal. I mean, I, I, it's, it's a phenomenon that's taken over Denver, and we've all witnessed it and sat in traffic because of it, and some of us got heat exhaustion and had to get rushed to the hospital because of your brave stand in line for merch. Just <laughs> strong, sacrificial. Um, but you got to get the T-Swift merch. It's, it's not going to get itself. you got to grab that thing. And, um, and like a hundred more jokes after that. One, two, three, here they go, right? Um, the, the dressing up, the fact that her merch sales are the equivalent of like a small developing nation. She has the GDP of like insert developing world country. Um, and it's a phenomenon. I don't know what to say about it. And I want to ridicule it more and more and more, except that as I was preparing the subsequent jokes, it occurred to me that the dressing up with the lipstick and the white t-shirt and the, the whole, the skirt and the, the whole thing um, is exactly the same for a different era as uh, my experience at Dead & Company a week ago, <laughs> where, it, except it was like 65-year-old um, former hippies uh, in tie-dye doing this while eating shrooms. <laughs> and so, which is weirder? I don't know. Um, but I love it. I mean, I don't eat the shrooms. I don't do that, but I do wear the tie-dye. And I did go to the dead a lot in, when they were the dead and Jerry was alive. And then now the John Mayer is like a better Jerry than old Jerry. And it's amazing. And then in the show that I went to, I went to the uh, Sunday night show. Did anyone else go, by the way? I'm so disappointed in you. Did you? Jariah, which, which night were you at? Oh, Jariah. Strong. In case you're wondering if our elders are spiritually qualified, yes is the answer. <laughs> so I was at Sunday night, and like halfway through the second set, John just, and he doesn't talk a lot, John Mayer just casually goes, hey, I just wanted to invite uh, to the stage a friend of mine. He's been like a mentor to me. Would you welcome to the stage Dave, Dave Matthews? And the whole crowd was stunned and silent. We're like, I thought he was going to say like his guitar teacher or something. Like Dave Matthews, Dave Matthews. Dave Matthews comes out and plays the whole second set. So you've got Bob like, or like the, the barely breathing carcass of 80-year-old Bob in the middle with John Mayer on one side and Dave Matthews on the other. The crowd, me, lost their minds. <laughs> Utterly insane. What's my point in all this? One... I have, uh, I have no T-Swift shame to cast. Um, and two, we all worship something. Don't we? We all worship something. Atheism is the ultimate logical fallacy. There is no atheism. There's just what we make our God. We're wired to worship. It's in us. 
to lose our minds, to put on red lipstick and sing along and, and spend five hours in line for merch. We're wired to go all in on something, to be so about someone, to be for something, to give ourselves fully, to make our lives more meaningful as we ex- instinctively know that they're created to be than just getting up and going to work and paying the bills. We're wired to worship something. We all worship. It's just a matter of who and what we choose. In truth, we're created for worship. And that's our title this morning. The series we are in called Summer in the Psalms is predicated on two of our church's values. The first is that we embrace the centrality of Scripture. So we're studying through and reading through the book of Psalms together this summer. I hope that you have had the chance to participate in that and God's meeting you in it. And then the second value, uh, which informs the way we're doing this study is that we engage whole life transformation. We recognize that God's making us new in every way, not just spiritual maturity, but emotional and, and mental and social relational maturity as well, that they're intertwined and inseparable. And so what we see in the Psalms is God validating the complex emotional beings that we humans are and showing us that he's interested in meeting us where we find ourselves and not when we ascend to the place of fitness for God. God doesn't help those who help themselves up to this place. God helps those who haven't a prayer of helping themselves and have come to recognize that. And so he meets us where we are. And in the Psalms, we've seen him meet the psalmist in all of these different places emotionally. Today, we're going to take a little bit of a a seventh inning stretch. We're going to deviate from that aspect of the study and look at a central theme in the Psalms. We're in Psalm 102 today. The Psalms for this week, if you're reading along with the reading guide, are 102 to like, I think, 125 or something like that, 124. So we're going to start looking at Psalm 102. The Word of God reads familiarly now from how we've experienced the Psalms. My heart is sick, withered like grass, and I've lost my appetite. If you've read all the way through the Psalms, perhaps it's been a surprise that they're not just happy, clappy worship songs on paper, but rather they read like a a, a melodramatic teenager's diary. Like, oh, woe is me. I'm coming unglued. Vicious dogs are attacking me. My soul is withering like grass. And I'm just a, a pouring out of the heart. Because of my groaning, I'm reduced to skin and bones, the psalmist writes. I'm like an owl in the desert, like a little owl in a far off wilderness fly, little owl, fly. I mean, it, it's really quite melodramatic. I lie awake, lonely as a solitary bird on the roof. I see you, little owl, up there on the roof. My enemies taunt me day after day. They mock and curse me. I eat ashes for food. My tears run down into my drink, on and on. The lament, now familiar as we've read the Psalms goes, and it's at once surprising and incredibly validating because the psalmist is me. I experienced that. Maybe I've learned in American culture to keep that behind the scenes. And when I'm asked, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. 
good. Oh, you're not good? Oh, man, sorry to hear that. On to the next conversation. We don't dare present ourselves fully, but what God's asking us to do is present ourselves fully to Him. And not only will He tolerate the full range of our big emotions, but He welcomes them. And He wants us to bring our whole selves to Him. And that's perhaps the major thematic tie we've seen through the Psalms. A second is, if you move on down here to verse 12, eventually the psalmist gets to this, the but. Just about every psalm, it's certainly every psalm where the psalmist is pouring out his travail and lament, there is a but. But you, O Lord, sit on your throne forever. Your fame will endure to every generation. And let me just offer this by way of an observation that by now, if you've been reading through the Psalms or attending services and looking at the sample Psalms that we've studied together, you've seen this as a theme, this observation, out of the lament always comes praise. He might lament for 22 verses, but in the 23rd, but you, O God, out of the lament always comes praise. Our primary text this morning is Psalm 103. This is the worship psalm. We're going to read it together, and we've read the scriptures in different ways. The common theme of this series has been the centrality of the Word of God, and so we've read it aloud, we've read it together, um, we've read it in, in response to one another. This morning, I'm going to ask some of you to do the reading, so what I need to know is who's good at reading? And I need, I need you to answer this in two parts. Good in the sense that like in reading class, you got like a B plus or better, like you're competent at reading. And then two, you, you read in, a, in an inspiring, compelling way. Like people want to hear you read. Maybe they once in a while say, you should be on the radio or something like that. You have like a mellifluous, pleasing voice. So who, who's good at reading? I can't see. I need some good readers. Stephanie. Siobhan. All right, I need a couple of guys. Jariah, I believe that. Nate, is that Nate? Sorry, I'm looking into lights. Awesome. Oh, someone else is back there contesting you for that. What's your name? Uh, TJ, right? Okay, who's better between Nate and TJ as re- at reading? Should we have a read-off? How about if you guys split the last one, and then we'll, we'll judge you? All right, so Anders is going to run to you with the mic, and then we'll put a chunk of Psalm 103 on the screen, uh, and you read that chunk. And let's just receive the Word of God together. Can we do that? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Oh, this one's longer. (laughs) He made me known, he made, he, excuse me, he made known his ways to Moses his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not, 
He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with his according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so does, the, so does he remove his, our transgressions from us. Mm. Who, I forgot who. <laughs> Siobhan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Come on. All right, and now the, we're the split back here. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels. You mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Amen. All right, let's thank God. We just heard the word of God. That's the most sacred, time-honored, and important thing we do together, gathering together and reading the word of God as his people. Thank you all. I, I call that a tie. I think that... Uh, if we did like an audio Bible congregation led, I'd want you five reading. I'm just going to look at a few ideas here about worship. In the heart of the Psalms, the worship book of the Bible. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, it begins. And in verse 2, he says it again and repeats it at the end. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. What's interesting is as Kaysen led us in worship this morning and he uh, pointed out that David, who's the author of this psalm, is giving direction, as it were, to his soul. And it seems that if the psalms before and after are any indicator as to why, his soul might not be feeling it. Have you ever not been feeling like going to the gym? But you're like, you know what? You're going to the gym, man. Get there. And you have to tell your, your, your body, your flesh, get to the gym or do your run or whatever. David's doing that with his soul. He's like, soul, I know you're downcast. I know you're like a little owl on top of a roof all alone, and that's valid. Now, here's what you're going to do, soul. Listen up. Bless the Lord. And here's what's significant about that. Worship is always a decision. It's a choice. It's not authentic worship. It's not an emotional response. Now, is it to engage our emotions? Absolutely. Could it and should it involve an emotional response? Yes, but the choice to worship must not be an involuntary response to the chills and the overcome feeling of the moment. Do you remember uh, years ago the song Oceans and the phenomenon that it was? 
I just love this meme where it's like all the homegirls are like, OMG, oceans, like fan myself. I just, I got to worship, right? So <laughs> that's just, that's funny to me. The, um, the thing is, it's a subtle difference when the emotion comes in. And if we're prompted to worship because we feel God and feel emotional, that's wonderful. But the the decision to worship is not a response to emotion. You know what that is? It's a perversion of worship called consumerism, where we put on a product, put out a product, and if the product gives you the feels or does it for you, then you're like, all right, I'm going to do it. But what that is about primarily, if I'm responding to God that way, it's about me. I got the feels. It did it for me, so I'm going to respond. If it feels good, do it. That's the world's mantra. That's not the kingdom. Worship is a choice. It's about recognition that God is irrespective of my circumstances and that God is constantly worthy. He is in authority. He is the provider and sustainer of my soul, whether I'm feeling well provided for or not. And I am subordinate to him. So worship is a choice to acknowledge my subordination to God, his lordship over me. In fact, it could be that the central question of life with God is this. Will you worship? Will you worship? Or will you simply come to church? Because, you know, some of us will come to church and we're like, yeah, I kind of get there halfway through the second song because the singing part, not really for me. And then I'll visit and grab coffee. I really like the social connection. I do too. And then kind of come in and get the word. And Well, maybe the singing part is or is not um, my favorite. I love it. Maybe it is or is not your favorite. But worship is a choice. Will you worship? And where we have a question, a single question in the reading guide for each week, that's the simple singular question as you read Psalms 102 to 124 this week. Will you worship? Will you recognize that God is and he is in sovereign, permanent authority over us? Bless the Lord, O my soul, it continues, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. All that is within me, he says, speaking not only to his soul, but to all the multiple faculties of his being. It hearkens this call to worship of himself, Jesus' statement years and years later where he said, the first and greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And how we've changed that in our consumer culture very subtly to read like this. Love the Lord your God. That's the first and greatest commandment. The rest is like multiple choice. With all your heart, if that's your jam, or all your soul, if that's who you are, all your mind, if you're the heady sort, or all your strength, if you're the roll up your sleeves and show God how much you love him kind of person. You pick. Do you, after all, right? That's the way we have, and church, sadly, has taught to respond to God, but that's not the way God teaches us to worship. Worship the Lord, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. The parts for which worship is familiar and natural, the parts that resist a little bit or feel like that's not quite my jam, 
all that is within me worship the Lord. I remember growing up, and I've told you this before, in a traditional church uh, environment where people loved God in an intellectual way, and our worship was like, we're going to dig into the Word and really understand it and get the theology and things like that. Nothing wrong with that. That's great. But like, if you were in worship and you felt it, and, and there was this surge of emotion, and you were like, in, inside, you were like, OMG, oceans. It was like this, one hand to the waist. Like, super passionate for Jesus. He's coming back. One hand to the waist. You didn't do this because you were concerned that people were going to think you were a little imbalanced. Right? So it stopped being about God, and it started to be about how I'm perceived. If you ever, like, jumped up and down, you might get ushered out of the church unless people are looking around thinking, like, the four horsemen of the apocalypse better be on the horizon, or else that is a little much. Worship is a decision. Worship is also holistic. It's all your heart and soul and mind, all that is within me, lining up to worship. The word here is a bit of an unusual one. Bless the Lord, O my soul. We use the word bless in terms of us, right? Bless me, Lord. I was blessed, meaning usually I got more stuff is what we mean by it, or maybe a good relationship or a good job or something that leads to more stuff. That's what blessing, it's kind of fairly narrow lane of understanding in modern faith culture. But here it's talking about not blessing me at all, materially, relationally, or otherwise, but blessing the Lord. What does that mean? The word here, the Hebrew word for our quick nerd dive is barak, barak. And that word is one of those Hebrew words that means a lot of different things in English. There's no one-for-one translation. Um, and so you got to get a sort of build a fence around its meaning by how it's used. It's used variously in the Old Testament, um, most in- interestingly, to kneel and to adore. If you put that together, to like kneel in adoration and to worship or to praise, but praise that is physical, that involves a, a, a humbling and a complete recognition of another. Bless the Lord. You see this in the Psalms. In Psalm 95, come let us sing to the Lord. Cason exhorted us this way beautifully this morning. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Well, I'm more of a quiet, reserved sort. Fine, but God's inviting us to step outside of the sort that we are because worship primarily isn't about us, right? We shout aloud not because we go to a shout aloud church or because we're a shout aloud person, but because God is a shout aloud worthy God. And listen, we all shout aloud for some stuff. T-Swift, Broncos, Nuggets. You should have seen Mari and me in game five. We were like shouting aloud and waving the towel like Jesus was about to return, right? And I'm proud of it. Psalm 95 continues, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. In the same psalm, there is exhortation to get rowdy and to get reverent. It's not like, 
Hey, I, I go with the Shout Aloud Psalm because I go to the Shout Aloud Church and come from a Shout Aloud family. Well, I'm more of the kneel and reverence church. I grew up in a church where every week we knelt, which was cool. There was kneeling pads, so you didn't, you know, make your knees uncomfortable. And we recited the Lord's Prayer while kneeling. Awesome, but there was no shouting aloud. I mean, if you ever shouted aloud, you'd be escorted right out the back of the thing and you know, charges pressed. Right, so it's both, they're both in this psalm. Psalm 134, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Well, people might think I'm a little unhinged. What does God think though? That's really the question of worship, isn't it? We kneel, we shout, we celebrate, we lift up our hands and instinctively we do these things when we worship. The question is, will you worship God? Bless the Lord, verse 2. O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Forget not. In the midst of the hardship, be there, experience it. Don't gloss it over. Don't bury it and only go with the happy emotions. Don't mistake God for being unwilling or unable to handle the fullness of you. Be where you are, but forget not who he is and what he has done. Worship is a decision. Worship is holistic. And the third thing this passage teaches is that worship remembers. It remembers his goodness. Verse three, God who forgives your iniquity, heals your diseases. We reflected on both of these things, God's healing of our bodies, hearts, minds, relationships, and God's forgiveness through the blood of Jesus as we remembered Jesus in worship through communion. And Rice did a beautiful job of pastoring us through that. Worship remembers his, his goodness, but it also remembers, oh, it's, it goes on to say, um, God who redeems your life from the pit and who satisfies you with good, good things in your life. We remember his goodness in worship. Worship also remembers his greatness. And these are two different attributes of God. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens. His kingdom rules over all. Even if he weren't good and that weren't a personal reason to worship him, he is so great that he is worthy of worship. He is the owner of all things and the creator of our souls. We remember and worship his goodness and his greatness. Worship further remembers his justice. Verse six, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Worship remembers his faithfulness. Verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. Worship remembers that even if I haven't seen God come through yet in the circumstance which is besetting me currently, how many times have I seen God come through before? Worship remembers that God has been faithful and reminds that God will be faithful again. Worship remembers his mercy. Verse eight, the Lord is merciful and gracious. I love this intent. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Worship remembers how far I am from God and how merciful he is that he forgives me and brings me back into right relationship with him and enables me to have right relationship with others despite what my failures, sins, hurtful, selfish choices deserve. And worship remembers his love. Verse 11, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Worship remembers who God is, 
what he has done and what he has promised he will do. Worshiping God establishes that we are his. It puts him back on the throne of our hearts. He never chooses to leave that space. It's just that we humans going through our week have a tendency to displace him without ever meaning to and put other things there on the throne of our hearts instead. Worship resets our hearts to their right alignment, to their right order, aligning our hearts with Jesus. And you know what worship does? It takes the pressure off to have to get it done, figure it out, come through ourselves. Worship is the best anti-anxiety medication I know. I have found in my life that there are some problems that I cannot reason my way through. There are some problems that I can't buy my way through. There's some problems I can't buckle down and white knuckle it and grit my way through. But I have yet to encounter a problem that I cannot worship my way through. Worship takes the pressure off of me to have to be a stud, to have to have the answers in every occasion. And it puts it on to God who says, cast your cares on me because I care for you. God who is all great and powerful, God who is all merciful and loving, God who sees you, who knows the number of hairs on your head and who ordered your days, God who authored good and knows the plans he has for you, not to harm you, but to give you hope and a future, God who will and always does come through. It takes our problems and puts them in his hands and puts them in perspective of eternity. So will you worship? That's the question for today. Stand with me me if you would. We're going to worship in response. And I'd like to invite you to worship God in maybe a fuller way, to take a step if you hear the Holy Spirit calling your heart of surrender And just try. Scripture gives us three practical directions. These aren't suggestions, right, for worship. One is shout aloud. Kaysen, I need to ask your permission because I said this and you're about to lead the next segment. Do my friends have permission to shout aloud during your song? Like, are you going to kick them out or look at them weird? No way. Okay. You're allowed to shout aloud. (laughs) Even if you're, in fact, can we just practice it just to get the monkey off our back? Good, shout! Pretend T-Swift is descending into the stage. Get rowdy. All right. Now, it also says, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel. And it may be that the Holy Spirit comes on you and you're like, you know what? I am so overcome with gratitude for what God's done in my life, with awe for who he is and how he's come through in the past as he reminds me. I just fall on my knees in worship. And let me encourage you, go with it. Somebody else might be shouting. You might be bowing. Totally okay. And then the third instruction scripture gives us is to lift up hands in worship 
from the sanctuary toward God. We're in the sanctuary. You got hands. So you're like, yeah, but I don't know if, the, if my old church's hand-lifting police are going to come get me. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. We'll stick up for you. No one else cares. Hey, I got a quick question. Does anyone care if somebody else raises their hands? Anyone going to judge them? Because you can go ahead and head out now and beat the traffic. And the rest of us can worship. See, no one cares. No one cares about me but me. I think the devil tells me, and Dan is going to be looking at me, and Dan's not looking at me. If anything, he's looking at these guys to know what the next lyric is. He's worshiping. Will you worship? Can we let go of ourselves a little bit? Lift up holy hands, bow down before the Lord, shout aloud, engage him, because he is God and he is worthy. All right, we're going to worship. I'd like to invite our elders and leaders, if you would, come worship from the front on the sides up here. It's a little quieter, a little more private, and I'd like to invite you to come receive prayer. Some of you are like, man, I'm a little far from God, or I'm feeling like um, there's a block between me and Him, and I would feel like I'm phony, and the last thing I want to be is inauthentic. Well, get right with God. We don't have a pill to give you. That's God, but we'd love to pray with you and just agree for God to set you free give you a fresh start, meet you where you are, take the burden that you're carrying uh, off of you and put it onto him, and then you can worship. So as we worship, prayer is just another expression of worship. It's just spoken worship, and worship is just sung prayer. So we'll just kind of create a symphony of worship and prayer. Come let one of our leaders pray for you. If a few more of our group leaders would join up there along with uh, our elders, and we'll just be there to pray with you, and let's worship the Lord together. You guys ready?